you're listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Most of you will be aware that I was in San Francisco last week. I have the post-travel cold to prove it. You could call it a vacation or professional development, but for me it was a pilgrimage, an intentional journey to a holy site. I've been trying to figure out how to get to San Francisco for about 10 years. More specifically, I've been trying to figure out how to get to St. Gregory of Nyssa Church for about 10 years. So if you're not already tired of at St. Gregory's Day stories, you soon will be. So at St. Gregory's, when they read the gospel, the Bible is carried from one side of the room to the other. And unlike in some churches you may have been to, where the reader holds the book carefully and reverently up in front of them, at St. Gregory's, the person rests the gospel book on their right shoulder. Why? Roman emperors used to be carried on people's shoulders. Early Christians chose to carry the Bible on their shoulder in worship as a way of saying, Christ is the only king we serve. Which is pretty amazing symbolism, if you ask me, but as we generally don't carry our political leaders around on people's shoulders anymore, it's also a symbol that is completely divorced of any cultural significance, and it only makes sense if someone helps you decode it. The story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is a story that is filled with symbolism. It's theatrical, not just in its scale, but in the intention to detail. Details that, given how different our culture is from the one in these stories, may also need to be decoded. Things that would have been very clear to the people experiencing this event firsthand no longer make any sense to us. When Jesus enters Jerusalem, he is following a pilgrimage path that many others have followed and will continue to follow. By the Middle Ages, people making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem were referred to as palmers because they often carried a palm branch home as a symbol of the pilgrimage. Later in history, Shakespeare would have Romeo angle for a kiss from Juliet by referring to his lips as pilgrims and encouraging her to kiss them as holy palmers kiss. And we are still celebrating Palm Sunday to this very day, waving branches and taking home palm crosses to tuck in a safe place as a reminder throughout the year only to return them to the church next year to be burnt and turned into ashes to be used on Ash Wednesday so that this whole process of remembering can begin again. And in my case, create a really interesting conversation with my neighbors when they ask, what are you burning in the backyard? (laughs) Holy Week is a pilgrimage, a sacred path that we travel together as we retell ancient stories. It's a time rich with symbolism and tradition, and as such, it can be deeply meaningful or dry and lifeless. I was talking to someone recently who said, I just don't get the point of Easter anymore. And the same day, I talked to someone who said they were really looking forward to Holy Week because it's their favorite time of the year. Where do you fit on that spectrum? Are you more, what's the point, or it's the most wonderful time of the year? When Jesus enters Jerusalem, we're told he is riding on a colt that has never been ridden. Now that's an interesting choice. I'm definitely not an expert on horses, but I have ridden a few times at summer camp or while on vacation. And every time I've done so, I have chosen a horse that was an expert. 
In fact, probably due to a combination of care for their customers and the threat of lawsuits, expert horses were the only kind available to me. Horses that would calmly follow the assigned trail regardless of what their rider chose to do. That's just smart, right? When you're going to do something new or dangerous, go with an expert. But Jesus chooses a colt that has never been ridden. In movies and church reenactments, I've only ever seen Jesus riding an animal that was more reflective of the ones I rode at summer camp, calmly plodding along despite the crowds of shouting people and palm branches and cloaks with this heavy human perched uncomfortably on top of their back. But it seems to me that it's just as likely that an unridden colt would have been wide-eyed and filled with panic and seeking to buck Jesus off at every turn in order to turn around and run straight back home. Or at the very least, surely Jesus wouldn't have been able to calmly wave to the crowd from atop this animal. Rather, he'd been working hard to try to control both the direction the animal was walking and working to avoid being bucked off and trampled to the ground. A colt that has never been ridden. That's a weird choice. It's weird, but Jesus' choice to ride an inexperienced colt is teaching me something about the nature of God. God doesn't need experts or perfect people. In fact, God purposely chooses the untried and the unexpected, the people who are wide-eyed and anxious and fully aware they have no idea what they're doing, the people who want nothing more than to run straight from the limelight they have suddenly been thrust into and run straight back to the safety of their homes. That's who God chooses, and that's good news to me. The various Gospels describe the animal that Jesus rode in different ways. Mark and Luke say Jesus chose a colt that had never been ridden. John says it was a young donkey, and Matthew says it was a donkey and a colt. A donkey and a colt? Was it some kind of tag team situation where Jesus rode one for a little bit and then the other? Or was he riding both at the same time like a circus stunt rider, one leg on each of the animals? Have we just moved from the bizarre, choosing a colt that doesn't know what it's doing, to the, well, I don't even know what the word for that kind of spectacle would be? So at St. Gregory's, they move throughout their worship space for different parts of the service. The sermon is in one spot, Eucharist in another, And when I say they move from one space to another, I should have said they dance from one space to another, which could be incredibly overwhelming for a first-timer, except that they've thought it through, and before you can panic, someone from the church will look you in the eye and say, welcome, friend, put your hand on my shoulder and follow me. And as long as you do, you'll be just fine. I can't be certain, but I don't think that Jesus rode into Jerusalem like a stunt rider with one foot on a donkey and one foot on a colt, but I do think he may have taken both animals with him. One of the reasons Matthew references both animals is because he wants us to see that Jesus' actions are the fulfillment of a prophecy from Zechariah, a prophecy that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I wonder if this scene looks less like a circus and more like those trail animals I took at camp, 
with the mother donkey leading the way and her child, the colt that has never been ridden, following behind her with Jesus on his back. The colt that knows as long as it follows its mother, it will be just fine. So just like last week at St. Gregory's, as long as I followed the person in line in front of me, I was just fine. We don't have to follow this pilgrim path alone. We just have to keep an eye on our loving mother who is just a few steps ahead of us. And that sounds like good news to me. But why ride any kind of donkey at all? Why not walk or ride a horse or a chariot? It's not an accident. It's all part of the spectacle. Jesus is a king, but not like any king the people have seen before. Writing in the fourth century, St. John Chrysostom said, Jesus is not drawn in a chariot like other kings, not demanding a tribute, nor surrounded by officer and guards. And then the people ask, what king has ever entered Jerusalem riding upon an ass? With each choice Jesus makes, he is communicating that his kingdom will not be like any kingdom they have ever known or imagined. In Matthew, Jesus says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. Whoever wishes to be first among you must become a slave. Jesus is a king, but not a tyrant who will lord it over them. Jesus is different. In Zechariah, it says, He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea. The chariot and the war horse are instruments and symbols of war. The new king banishes both, and Jesus proclaims peace to the nations. Now, if anyone in that first crowd is reading the symbols correctly, they will recognize that Jesus is a king, a king who comes in peace, but a king nonetheless. And having never had a king like Jesus before, there is no way they can fully comprehend what's happening. But that lack of comprehension does not stop the people in the crowd from getting caught up in the excitement of the moment. It does not stop them from waving branches and shouting, Hosanna! Now, I have this vague understanding that in our city there's been some important sports thing going on lately. I do not understand it. I just know it's happening. And it's more than likely that if I happened to find myself downtown on a particular day and there were crowds of people filling up the streets and shouting excitedly, that I might find myself swept up by the enthusiasm and joining in. I would have no idea what I was saying, but I might even be inspired to shout, Go Jets, go! Similarly, the people waving their branches and shouting Hosanna, which literally means, please save or save us now, probably didn't fully understand what was happening. They were right that Jesus has come to save them while being wrong about how he will save them. This week, I've actually spent a lot of time being disappointed in earthly leaders. I've watched my friends fight funding cuts made by the Ontario government that directly impact my godson's ability to thrive. I've watched Bill C-262 that says, let's treat Indigenous folks with dignity language in the Senate. 
And I've watched leaders in the Anglican communion make decisions that seem more based on fear than love. I'm disappointed by my leaders. I'm disappointed by people who seem to care more about power and safety and money than people's lives. And I am longing for something different. I'm longing for someone who looks a little more like a powerful but humble man riding an untried colt. A colt that is patiently following its mother through a crowd on a pilgrim path. I'm longing for someone whose actions are rooted and grounded in the power of self-sacrificing love. I'm longing for someone who looks well, who looks like Jesus. The Jesus we will encounter as we remember and reenact these stories throughout the coming week. And I hope you'll join us when we do. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.